0: Good morning everyone. The Bible reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 34. And if it sounds a little bit familiar, yes, we did have it a couple of weeks ago. We're having the, uh, the Tom version today of the sermon, not of the Bible. Matthew 6:19 to 34. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your clothes, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own.
1: Um, Let's start by praying. jump into it. Father, we thank you for this word this morning. Thank you for your word and the encouragement it is to think about what it means to trust in your provision to us and to let go of our worry and anxiety as we live for you. Please help us to to understand this and work in our hearts to help us truly live it out. In Jesus' name. Amen. Am I the right distance from the microphone there? Is that all right? Okay uh, in, the, in the second century BC, the Chinese emperor Qin Shi Huang, was the first man in history to unite all of the warring states and provinces of China, make it a one unified whole country He's the first man to do it at this point in, in time. China is already a massively influential nation it 's kind of like the Roman Empire, equivalent of the eastern world, massively influential in trade and economy and culture and technology. And this emperor, he unites it all and he's at the top. He, he increases its influence, expands its borders and he's, just, he's the pinnacle of it all. The first man to achieve so much uh, and so much unimaginable wealth and power is right at his own fingertips. And a very impressive legacy... But after accomplishing all this, for the rest of his life, the Emperor Qin Shi Huang becomes terrified of dying, terrified of losing everything he's worked so hard for his entire life. All the wealth and status and achievements, the legacy that only he had so far been able to do, who could maintain it after he was gone? And so he becomes obsessed with trying to find an elixir to grant him immortality and sends people out all over China, all over the known world, to to bring back these potions with different ingredients. And ironically, so the story goes, that's actually what kills him. He has a a concoction with mercury in it. This is the story, at least. And he gets mercury poisoning and dies shortly after. After drinking this and realising he doesn't have long left, his focus then shifts from, rather than trying to, put off death, he thinks, okay, well, how can I now bring all of my wealth with me into the next life? How can I bring it with me? So he has a gigantic tomb just constructed, almost like an underground city. It's humongous. All of his wealth and, and treasures stored with his body and the famous terracotta warriors, if you know of the, the terracotta statues that come out of China, those were all his. He had 700,000 of them constructed to be his army in the afterlife. Then all his best generals and servants were killed to be buried with him, so they would go with him too. And anyone else involved in constructing the tomb uh, was also instructed to be killed elsewhere so that, so that its, its location was kept secret. Now, the reality is we know the died and all of those treasures are still here. They're being built. The terracotta warriors still being dug up. They didn't go with him. He couldn't take any of that wealth into the next life. Now contrast that story with a man like Jim Elliot. Some of you may know who he is. Those who don't, he was a missionary who went and served in Ecuador to a local tribe who were known to be very violent, and he was killed after shortly after heading over there. Um, but through the, the ongoing work of his family, that, that those people actually came to accept the gospel eventually. But before he went, he was quoted to have said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now, tonight we are all, so this morning, I actually do that really often, get evenings and mornings to me, stuff in sermons. <laughs> this morning, we are all um, faced with the same choice that these two men had, to choose our master, treasure on earth or treasure in heaven, money or God. Uh, look at verse 19 with me. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Reason, relatively recently, some relatives of mine had their, their home broken into and, and had a lot of very precious uh, possessions stolen, some really valuable jewellery, and understanding very shaken up by it, as, I, as I'm sure you could all imagine. Um... Recently, this is another note, but recently I've had some favourite items of clothing that I've been worn too often and worn out and I've had to give up on wearing them all the time. I'm sure you've all gone through something similar. Have you ever, um, perhaps sometimes when you're driving through the countryside, you see out on some old farms like old broken down car bodies that have just turned into a rust heap and there's nothing more than a uh, a monument on the side of the road just think that once upon a time that would have been a new piece of machinery that would have been very useful very valuable to someone these moths and rust the treasures of this earth they all pass away these are very physical illustrations but it doesn't it doesn't only apply to physical things this can apply to anything in this world any reward that we place value in it can apply also it can apply to wealth but also to reputation to popularity, to status, to pleasure, achievements. You know, the point is, none of the rewards of this life last. None can be taken with us. We lose all of them. Now, I realised last night as writing, and going over this, uh, my focus in writing this has not been to answer. I've kind of made an assumption, uh, which is not, not a helpful thing to do, that that we understand what it means, what the, what Jesus is talking about when he talks about living, laying up treasures in heaven. Now we've we've had a had a bit of time in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, which has talked about the kingdom of heaven, what it looks for the kingdom, the great commission, Jesus's call to go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, commanding them to obey, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. So I think that's what what we're talking about here. Um, There's a bit of an assumption there. If that's something you'd like to talk more about, please do come and talk more about it. I think within the passage we see in verse 33 uh, that we, we store up treasure in heaven by seeking first God's kingdom and righteousness. Are we doing that above all else? But what I'm actually going to focus on this morning is what actually stops us from doing that. When we know that that's how we should be living, what what is it in our heart that so often leads us to actually storing up treasures on earth instead? That's the focus today. Read in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So which should we choose? Now that answer, I would hope, shouldn't be too hard when you put it into perspective, when you think about how the things of this life pass away. A little bit further on in Matthew chapter 16, 26, he says, What good it will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Think about that perspective of eternity. The treasures of this life will at most, at most, last us 80 years. Many, many last last a lot less. What does that look like next to eternity? The kingdom of heaven. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where do we want our heart to be? Where do you want your heart to be? That's the first question to be asking ourselves as we read this passage. There's more to answering this question than just perspective, though. It's not just a, a cost-benefit analysis of whether we want things that will last temporarily and things that will last a much longer time. This decision, treasure on earth, treasure in heaven, it actually drastically shapes the way we live out the rest of our life and the way we experience life. Right after telling us the story about treasure in heaven, Jesus says this, verse 24, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life What you eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Jesus says if we're if we're storing up our treasure in heaven, we we actually shouldn't be worrying about these things. Like we know they don't offer us true security. Whatever form they take. We've already talked about earthly rewards are not eternal. And so, if we put our security in them, we soon find they don't offer us much security at all. And life becomes fraught with trying to protect these things, whether it be our own reputation or whether it be wealth or whatever. We try to protect these things that are meant to be protecting us because we know we can't hold on to them. Look at the emperor for a case example. But if we chose to serve God and lay up our treasure in heaven... Well, Jesus says there's no reason to worry about any of this. Look at what it says in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you wear clothes? See the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Just pause and visualize it with me. The last time you were out somewhere in nature. And just think about what the birds are like, what their lives are like. They can seem so carefree, aren't they? Mm-hmm. There's no pretense that if they hoard up wealth or work super hard and diligently that their life is going to be that much more stable and secure. God just provides for them and they just live. Right? And think about that illustration of the flowers of the fields. how beautiful flowers can be Sometimes at the right time of year when you're heading out our, to our place, along Upper Brookfield Road, the crocuses start to come up through the grass. And at the right time of day when the sun is coming over the top of the hill and it just hits the beautiful green grass and there's these splashes of light pink, it's just, it's breathtakingly beautiful. But how much more beautiful has God made to each of us? We are told that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. How much more will God care for us than birds and flowers? So do you choose to seek comfort from the things of this world? Because if you do, that's choosing a life of worry and trying to protect things we know we're going to lose. Or do you choose to seek comfort in the God who made you, who loves you as his child? Well, that's choosing a life of contentment and peace. So where is your heart? Where do we seek our comfort? That's the second question to be asking ourselves. Where do we seek our comfort? Now I'm going to jump straight into the third question right away before, at, the, at the front of this next section, and that is, do we trust God to provide for us? That's the third question to ask yourselves. So where do we want our hearts to be? Where do we seek our comfort? And do we trust God to provide for us? If we don't trust him, that's what leads us to place our security in the things of this earth. It comes from looking elsewhere to find security. But if we do trust him, it means we don't need to place security in the things of this world. So this, this all boils down to a matter of Trust, do you trust that God will provide? Look at verse 33 oh, so 31 to 34. Jesus says, "So do not worry saying, "What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And Jesus reminds us, we can trust in God to provide all things. But the question that puts to us is, are we trusting him? Do we believe he will provide? Are we seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, trusting all else will be added to us? Jesus tells us if we truly believe believe this. We don't need to be anxious about anything. Now, at the time this passage was written, you know, I think maybe perhaps anxiety had slightly different connotations to what it does today. There's a lot more that is you know, implied when we talk about anxiety. This, we talk about clinical disorders and things like that. But at its core, I think anxiety and worry is, 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 is still the same thing in that the way, the way a lot of counsellors and psychologists would define it these days is it's caused by looking into, trying to see into the future and predict possible negative outcomes that might happen in the future and trying to take actions in the present to prevent those negative things from happening. That's what it is. It's looking forward and then changing what we do to prevent bad things from happening. Now, that can be helpful. It can stop us from making really poor decisions. They can put people in danger and things like that. But there are times where we can become too obsessed with taking control of of the situation and really overcompensating in very unhelpful ways, very unhelpful ways. One example in the case of social anxiety is we become avoidant, We, we become afraid of social embarrassment and become avoidant of social situations in order to try and control and re- remove the risk of, of the thing we're afraid of. Another example is if we are afraid of failure, we avoid taking, challenging ourselves, taking on responsibilities, um, neglecting, neglecting to challenge ourselves to avoid the, the risk of failure. Or, as we've already talked about a lot, we can create the illusion of control by placing security in many, many worldly things, money, reputation, physical comforts. But we know these things are not trustworthy. They just lead to more worry, knowing we'll lose them. And so our efforts to control our fears often often, can make things worse over time. But all the while, we should know, at least in our heads, we know that God is in control. And so if we recognise we're limited and instead place our trust in him. We shouldn't need to feel the need to control everything ourselves. So how much do we trust God with our anxieties? Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We all... Want to grow and trust in trusting God more, and it's but it's true that at times all of us become un- overcome with anxiety. We all do, and we can all find it difficult to trust Him. For some of us, that may be much harder than others. So there's there's one other thing I want to say quickly, and that is that this challenge. I think yes, it's it should really challenge us to question: Do we tr- do we trust God enough? Or are we putting our trust in worldly securities that bring about more worry? But I also want to say that this passage is probably more than that. It's an encouragement. If anyone particularly struggles with anxiety, I, I don't want you to go away feeling ashamed or like you're failing at trusting God. Because like all parts of the Christian life, this is a lifelong journey of growing and trust, of sanctification for all of us. Read uh, verse 30 again with me. We read, If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? You of little faith. Now that is a challenging thing to be labelled. But look at other times... In Matthew, Jesus has used the same phrase. One of my favorite passages, actually, is Matthew 14, 29 to 31. This is the story where Jesus is walking on the water and and he calls Peter to walk out to him. Do you know the story? So 14, 29, Jesus says, Come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? You of little faith. And yet, it's a beautiful example of Jesus' tenderness and saving grace. Lord, save me. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus knows we struggle with doubt. He knows we can struggle with trust. That doesn't disqualify us from following him, living for his kingdom. See, when Peter doubted, Jesus reached out and saved him. And he does the same for us. Yes, this passage in Matthew 6, it highlights the distrust that is in our hearts. It it, it highlights the unreliable places we look to for security. It challenges us to strive to grow in that trust and take it seriously. But it's a reminder that God does provide. He hears us when we bring our anxieties before him. And he's good. And he's trustworthy. So be encouraged. Some of us, anxiety is a much bigger battle than for others. But we all should be taking that step at growing and, and trusting him more so I want to talk a little bit about depending on, on what anxiety is like for you, how much of a role it's played in your life, um, different ways we can take a step in growing in trust, moving towards that more and more. Some of you, uh, it may be more a matter of an- occasional anxiety for some of us. just it's, it's more existential in response to stressful situations. can feel overwhelmed. In those cases, it, it It may be a matter of trying to remind ourselves of the perspective, the eternal perspective that we're living in. How much should these things concern us in the context of eternity? Ground yourself in that reality and once putting things back into perspective, come back to that idea of what can I control now and what's beyond my control? And then offer those things up to God in prayer. As Jesus says, again, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Focus on what you can do and offer it up to God in prayer. It's a little bit of cognitive behavioural therapy that we can just do, do for ourselves. For those who may have more general anxiety, it's a sort of more, far more present part of your daily experience, can you think of a step you can take to begin challenging the fears you have that, that you might be trying to fight for control over? It can be a small step to start, but it is a step in growing and in trusting God. Do we want, is it that some of us want to avoid socializing in the case of social anxiety out of fear of embarrassment? Can you challenge that somehow? Are you afraid of failure and therefore avoiding responsibility? Can you find a small way to grow, to grow that? Just remember, we, we can't always control the world around us to protect our anxieties and insecurities. But also remember that all of our deepest needs and securities and fears, they're all met perfectly in Christ, in the gospel. So can you respond to those with biblical truth? Preach the word into your own heart and let it reshape the way you trust God. And lastly, I want to spend some time on this. It may not be relevant for many of us personally, but it may be for some, and and there is very likely to be people in your life to whom it is relevant. Statistics say that I think it's 20% of people struggle with, uh, in Australia, struggle with at some point in their life developing a mood disorder, whether that be depression or anxiety, one in five. So it's very likely that this will be relevant in some way. So that is, if, if anyone has experienced more profound, chronic anxiety, the kind that can be totally paralyzing at times, there is, a, there, is a, there is a possibility that that is a thorn in the flesh that will not go away. That it will actually be a difficult, lifelong battle. It doesn't mean you're failing as a Christian, but can you strive to remind yourself daily that God is bigger than this? When you begin to worry, can you practice pausing and praying about it? The anxiety may not go away, but can you practice bringing God in, offering it up to him each time? And the other thing I want to say about this is recognize that following Christ is never about overcoming obstacles by our own strength. It's about trusting God and recognizing our own weaknesses. And our need for his help. I say this because I've occasionally encountered a mentality that if we seek help uh, when we're struggling, it means that we're not trusting God. particularly you know some people feel like accepting professional help is not trusting God to resolve this issue. But I want to correct that and argue that that is actually a form of pride that if we think that we need to be strong enough to overcome issues of anxiety or whatever other forms we might have, on our own, and we refuse to take the steps we need to receive appropriate support to grow through our anxiety, that's pride. That's failing to trust in God's provision. Modern psychology and medicine can be seen as a gift from God in this day and age. So don't avoid professional help where it might be needed. And encourage those around you to see it that way too. And similarly, don't let the same sense of shame, that same pride drive you away from receiving help and support from your church family. We're brothers and sisters called to be looking to love and pray for one another. But that requires that we share honestly. That's a vulnerable thing. So we have to handle it gently and with love, but it's so important as brothers and sisters. My last thing I want to say is, for all this, don't feel like it has to reach crisis point before reaching out for help either. Be proactive, and if you do experience anxiety regularly, even if you feel like you're getting by, get that support early. Don't be too proud to give your battle the attention it needs so that you can grow in trusting God more effectively. So that's some practical ideas. But at all times, the key is this. Remember that God is good. He is in control. He provides. We have eternal hope and treasure in him. We all want to grow and learn to trust him more and more. Look at the birds of the air, the flowers of the field, how he dresses them. How much more does he care for you? The answer is enough that he would give up Christ so that we can call him Father. What further assurance do we need? O you of little faith, offer up your worries to your heavenly Father and lay your treasures and your heart with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who provides. We thank you that in sending Jesus, we know we have a place in heaven with you. Thank you that we do not need to fight for the treasures of this world. That instead we can live in contentment and assurance that one day we'll be with you. Lord, forgive us when we fail to trust you, even after all you do for us. Help us see the way you care and love us, and help us always to grow in trust of your loving provision. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.